Praise God. I could hear you this morning. I hear you every week, but, but you know, sometimes, you know, you, you, there's a little more gusto. So I would just say, bring the gusto every week. Amen? God deserves our praise. He deserves our songs. He deserves our worship. And so I, I'm so happy to be in church. Good morning, Warden. I hope you're, you're doing well. I was just saying that uh, I managed to, to bring along some Newfoundland drizzle this morning. You know, that it's the kind of rain that, you know, there's no, if you wear glasses, you're done. You walk for a little bit, it just covers them all, and you're wiping your glasses. Oh, my gosh. It's a contact day. I put my contacts on on days like this. Uh, we're going to look into the Word of God in James chapter 1 uh, this morning. And I'm excited about this. I actually had planned to speak on something else, and I woke up Tuesday morning, and I actually did a little devotional with... Um, our staff and I told him I was like ah, I got to flip the script here a little bit and I'm gonna so I'm gonna do this sermon next week and I'm gonna preach the sermon I have planned for this week next week and I hopefully they tie together a little bit. Uh, my sermon this morning is obviously entitled "If You Don't Know What You're Doing." Anybody feel that once in a while? <laughs> Good, I'm glad because I didn't want to be the only one in the room. You know, I remember the first time. It's so funny, I was just actually talking uh, to somebody in the foyer about this. I remember the first time I held Brooklyn, and I'm just like, it's the first time I looked at God and I said, do you know what you're doing? You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, you hold that little child in your hand, and, and it's not like my wife and I, we, didn't, we became foster parents, and, and we had like about 13 foster parents in our children, and so in our home, and so uh, over the years. And, and when Brooklyn came into our home, there was no pregnancy, there was no like lead up, there was no prepare, it was just boom, she's there. <laughs> and don't be wrong, there's preparation and stuff, but it's not like, you know, like it was completely different with Ollie, with, the, with going through the pregnancy. And, and, and yeah, there's just so much different. But I remember when I held her little itty-bitty body in my hands, bald as anything, just sweet, and, and, and feeling like the very first moment I met her, like that she was going to be with us forever. Although I had no idea. And we prayed the peace of God over her life. I remember thinking, are you sure you know what you're doing? Because I'm not sure I do. <laughs> and every new parent, I think, can relate to that to some degree. Or maybe you feel like asking someone else this question, you know, maybe like your coffee barista who messes up your coffee order. Do you know what you're doing? I mean, I, do, I, I, I drink black coffee, people. And do you know how many times I get a coffee that's not the way I ordered it? <laughs> I'm like, how do you mess up a black coffee? Oh, gosh. Uh, in all honesty, we don't need any more, anyone else to ask us if we know what we're doing. Because if we are all honest, we all deal with self-doubt doubt from time to time. And to be honest, imposter syndrome is almost a, a, an epidemic in a way. Imposter syndrome is such a, a common thing in society today. I've talked to many people over the years who, who deal with this in some way. And it's basically the idea, according to psychology today, that people who struggle with imposter syndrome, syndrome believe that they are undeserving of their achievements and the high esteem in which they are, in fact, generally held. They feel that they aren't as competent or intelligent as others might think and that soon enough, people will discover the truth about them. Now, I'm not saying that everybody in here is not confident in their job. I'm sure many of you are very confident in your job, but there's moments in our life where this kind of an idea 
creeps in. And, and it makes you believe, like, what on earth you're doing. I, I, I kid you not, I, I've, I've probably mentioned from the pulpit a few times about my difficulty sleeping Saturday nights uh, before Sunday because I've been doing this 20-plus years now, but I still I just get anxious and everything. But last night was different than anything I've ever experienced. I was waking up in the middle of the night, and I woke up with this intense, I would wake up with this intense anxiety. And, and don't, you don't have to worry. I got up, I had my coffee, I'm fine. <laughs> but, but in the moment, I'm like, oh my goodness. I looked at the clock one time, it was two o'clock. I'm like, I feel like I want to get up. I don't want to experience that anymore. And I woke up over and over thinking about all the things we had to do and all the things I have to do and the, and the different, and I just I woke up with this anxiety. My wife walked in my office this morning when she got here and I said, and I explained it to her. I said, I've never felt anything like that before. And thank God that once you wake up and you, you spend some time with God and you, you, you realize that, that, you know, very few of those things are true. And I, I want you to understand the enemy attacks the mind. You don't realize it, but he already kind of already has the heart. Your heart is, will always tell you to do the wrong thing. But your mind you're in control of. I know sometimes we don't feel that way. But we have control over what we think, what we thought. And I, I thought about this this week, you know, when, it, when you look at, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Correct me if I'm wrong, it could be first. But it says, you know, oh, I, we demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive, and I want you to make this distinction, our thoughts, not our feelings. You cannot control how you feel. And, and, and you know, We've had this discussion before. Anybody who's married, anybody who's been in a relationship, you know, you can't tell me how I feel. Don't get yourself in trouble, men. Don't tell your wife how she feels. Say, honey, how do you feel about this? I'm preaching about wisdom this morning, and this is probably the most important thing you're going to (laughs) hear. No, I'm just kidding. But in this day and age, you know, like, we need to bolster what, Dr. Karen Gordon defines as agility quotient. And I've been reading this book called The Three Chairs. I invite you to read it. It's a leadership book. But this portion, it was, man, I went back and read it a couple times. It was speaking to me so clearly. And she talks about an agility quotient. Now, we're all familiar with IQ, which is an intelligent quotient. Your IQ is probably what got you hired on your job. You know, you go in and you prove to them that you have the expertise, that you have references, and people speak about your, your, your capabilities and whatnot. And then there's the emotional quotient. And if I can be honest, your emotional quotient is probably what helps you keep your job. And it helps you advance in your job. And it helps people begin to see the leadership qualities that you may have. And we also, we, emotional quotients might be the most important of these three. And it's important to make sure that our emotional stability and how we feel emotionally is, is cared for. But then there's the agility quotient, as described by Gordon in her book. It says, it's not just our ability to absorb new information, but the ability to work out what is relevant, uh, to unlearn obsolete knowledge, and overcome challenges, and to make conscious effort to change. Now, whether you realize it or not, during COVID, every one of our agility quotients went up. Uh, we had to learn how to adapt. The ability to edit what we, re- what we hear and prioritize and apply 
what is important and relevant. You know how hard it is to edit what you hear? I'm going to tell you that I could hear a thousand compliments. Oh, pastor, that was a great sermon. Oh, pastor, that was a, a thank you for coming and visiting me. Pastor, oh, a thank you for taking the time to listen or, or do all these things. And you hear one negative comment. And what is it about that one little negative comment that sets up a tent in your brain, lights a fire, starts to cook on the fire, and says, I'm staying for a few days. I don't know what it is about that. But the one negative comment weighs out a thousand. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I know I'm taking my scenario, but this is where I live, right? And so I don't want you to, I'm not saying that don't come with any negative comments, but don't come with any negative comments. <laughs> but but it's just the way it is. Everybody, you put it in your own scenario. You know, people can compliment you. Your boss can compliment you a thousand times, when, and they can be as gentle as they want when they come in correction, but sometimes that one thing can haunt us and it can stick in our brain, right? But to be willing to adapt and to change has never been more important, but it has not gotten any easier. Uh, which is why our EQ is likely the most important, and it keeps us on balance. And I'm saying this because I believe the Bible gives us incredible guidance about this. And if we want to be uh, to up our agility quotient, I think we should start here. And so today we're going to start in James chapter 1, verse 5. And it's a passage I'm sure you're all very familiar with, if not uh, most of you. And it says very simply, if you lack... If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given you. Now, I always tend to go to, when, when a passage speaks to me, I tend to go to multiple translations, and I found myself in the message this week, and this is the first line, and you'll notice it in my title this morning, if you don't know what you're doing. And it just opened up my mind to this passage in a different way. If you don't know what you're doing, he says, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help and won't be condescended to when you ask for it. Ask boldly, believingly, without a second thought. Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, I love how you can read a passage that you've read a thousand times. And when the Holy Spirit takes you through that passage, you can see something new every time. And you can speak to a specific situation, Lord, every single time. And so, Father, I pray, O oh God, that all of our agility quotients, Lord, would go up this morning. And, Lord, if we hear something in the Word that causes us to change, Lord, I pray that we'd be willing to accept that change. Not because I said it, but because your Word is authoritative, O oh God, and it is your Word. And so, Father, I pray you would apply it to our heart today. Give me clarity of thought and speech as I present your Word. Help me to function in the anointing. You placed in my life to do this. In Jesus' name, amen. So wisdom. Wisdom, as we all may understand, is just knowledge guided by understanding. It's, it's, it's the ability to apply knowledge rightly. Well, I'm sure we've all met people who are full of knowledge that the person you want to take to the trivia night, right? They know a lot of things, but then they could be completely socially inept. And they don't know how to apply the knowledge in their life. They, you go to them because they can answer stuff, boom, 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 boom. You see them on Jeopardy all the time, right? You're sitting down and you try to answer the question. I'm like, whoa, how is he so fast? And even in the categories that you think you're good on, 
you know, sometimes they beat you because people just have this knowledge. But wisdom is really the ability to apply that knowledge. We all know wisdom when we hear it, though. Uh, I can sit and listen to facts all day. And we can sit and listen to facts all day. But when someone says something wise, eyes look up, ears perk. And you become attending, you're like, oh, that's it. And wisdom kind of stands out like that. And that's, I think, why we call it a nugget of wisdom, is because you got to mine it out. You get into the dirt, and that nugget of wisdom is down there somewhere, and you got to work sometimes to get it, right? you got to dig in there sometimes to find it and to get it. And so the first thing we need to understand about wisdom this morning is that wisdom is given by Christ, and it originates with God. Wisdom, I mean all wisdom. I'm not just talking about what we would understand scripturally as godly wisdom. I'm talking about wisdom. The logic that you use in your everyday life, the things, the decisions, it all originates with God. Everything. Proverbs 9, 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We talked about reverence and the fear of God a few weeks back. Listen to how God describes the man who was instrumental in the construction of the temple. His name was Basilel. It says in Exodus 31, verses 1 to 5, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Basilel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. That's important. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Jeremiah 8 9, I love this passage. It says, the wise will be put to shame. They will be dismayed and trapped. That's not godly wisdom. That's just wise in and of ourselves. And then he says, since they have rejected the word of the Lord, what kind of wisdom do they have? Wisdom comes from God. He says here, the wise, the understanding, societal understanding of wise, he says, will be put to shame. They'll be trapped and dismayed and trapped since they rejected the word of the Lord. What kind of wisdom do they have? They don't understand where wisdom itself comes from. They do not understand who wisdom himself is. Paul expresses his desire for the church in Ephesus, and he says this, uh, Ephesians 1, verses 17 down through 19a, it says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. What's wisdom for? That you may know him better. You know what else is for? It says so that you may, uh, so that your eye, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Remember that evil heart I was talking about? Why we need Jesus' help is because our heart is sinful in every way. It will lead you down a deceptive path. It was, we need Jesus to heal this broken heart of ours. We need him. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope. So wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better, so that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Give you the spirit of wisdom 
and revelation. Why? So that you would know him better, the eyes of your heart would be open, that you would know the hope for which you are called to, the riches of his glorious inheritance, the incomparable, great power for us who believe. What an amazing passage. If you need encouragement this morning, write down Ephesians chapter 1, 17 to 19 and read it every day this week. All wisdom comes from God. But not only Christians experience the blessings of God. Not only Christians experience the blessing of God's wisdom. It says in Matthew 5, He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. We all benefit from the wisdom of God, but not all acknowledge it or avail themselves of it. We are all in danger of being too enamored with our own self-efficacy. That's a big fancy word, isn't it? Our own self-efficacy. And if you look at this term, it refers to an individual's belief in his or her capacity to execute behaviors necessary to produce specific performance attainments. And that's from the uh, Bandura um, exploration. I can't remember. Study. There we go. How did I take so hard to get that word? It's from the Bandura story, and it's been redone several times. You see 1977, 86, 97. But it's really the the opposite of imposter syndrome. It's almost like you never feel imposter syndrome when you're so focused on your own self-efficacy. You have so much confidence within yourself. Self-efficacy reflects Confidence in the ability to exert control over one's own motivations. In other words, I got this. You take control of your own behavior and your own social environment. And there's nothing that you can, people can do to you if you're in complete control. If you got everything under control. Self-efficacy is great. Self-belief is amazing, empowering trait. But we cannot find ourselves in a place where we do not acknowledge That our ability to breathe, to walk, to eat, to smell, to hear, to touch, to think, to extrapolate, to decipher, and to be productive at all finds its origins in Jesus. He is the author and the creator of all things. I, I don't know if you've ever watched or read Sherlock Holmes, you know, the, the old story from Arthur Cannon Doyle. And I, I love, this guy is the picture of self-efficacy. You can't tell him what to do. And in fact, his, his nemesis, Moriarty, is the guy, it's, well, in different iterations, it's a woman in some iterations, it's a male in some other iterations, but, but he plays on Holmes' own self-efficacy, his own ability, his own trust in himself. He's so confident in himself, in his deductive abilities, that you know nobody can tell him anything. And, and he doesn't ask for help. He struggles to ask for help. And his own downfall, the struggle that he has in his whole story, is because he just has to do everything himself. And he can't be out-puzzled. You know, there's no puzzle. If I find somebody that can finish a puzzle quicker than me, like Moriarty, then I have failed because his God is his own self-efficacy. And we find this today. You know, we, we put so much emphasis on humanism that, that, you know, I can do it myself. That if I believe in myself, I can do everything. And, and you know, I love the, the fact that we, the word says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But we take that out of context an awful lot. 
And we need to understand this morning, yes, I believe in you. God believes in you. And yes, you can do amazing things. And you will still glean wisdom in this world, even though, even if you don't believe in Jesus. And you will still do amazing things. But I'm going to tell you, there's power in acknowledging who the source of your wisdom is. Who provides the spirit of wisdom? And I'm going to tell you, he can take you to places that you'd never imagine. And a lot of times, it's places we don't want to go. It's places of empathy. He'll give you wisdom in situations where we may get frustrated with somebody who's in a tough situation rather than feel their pain and want to walk with them. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. It's an incredible passage. But it, I just want to just hammer home the importance of understanding that everything begins with God. It says the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things are created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Sometimes we think created is just the tangible things, but but everything that you understand, wisdom itself finds its origin in God. Happiness, everything, emotions, finds its origin in the Creator's hands. He is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. Why wouldn't you go to Him? And He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. In him all things were created, visible and invisible. Maybe, just maybe, we could benefit from inquiring of our Creator God. Maybe, just maybe, He may have some wisdom that we might not have. Maybe, just maybe, if we put our little baby in His hands and we say, God, I don't know what kind of a father I can be, but I know what kind of a father you are to me. Let me show him you. Let me show her you. I mean, that was my prayer. That's all I could say. God's wisdom administered through the power of the Holy Spirit helps us to un- in understanding God's purposes, in understanding his perspective in our situations, in coping with trials. He helps us to see our struggles and problems as opportunities for God to display his power. You know, I don't know if there's ever a time where you, we say, you know what my title is saying, you know, if you don't know what we're doing, more than, than when we're in our struggles and our problems, this is probably when we feel like we struggle the most, but the Holy Spirit can come and bring wisdom and He can show you opportunities for growth in those times. He can show you ways out of it. I mean, read Psalm 23, you're all very familiar with it, I'm sure. So where do we start? when we feel like we don't know what we are doing. Well, I'm going to take you to Sunday school real quick. You start with the Word of God first. And you're going to say, well, I don't know if you really need to tell me that. Yes, I did. 
you got to, you need to, I, I cannot tell you how many times in my life that people have come to me and they've asked me for advice and I've taken them to a scripture and I say, what does it say right there? And the answer is written right in the word of God. Start with the word of God. Start there. I'm telling you, like, I, I, I will sit and I will talk, and I, I'm not saying that I'm the fountain of wisdom, but, you know, as a pastor, you know, like, I, I, I study Scripture, and I, I will give you as much counsel as I can from Scripture, and sometimes I'll just close my mouth and listen. But the reality is that the first thing that comes out of my mouth most all the time is, have you checked the Word? Have you looked into the Word? What does the Word say about your situation? And if not, sometimes I walk people through it right there. And I say, well, let's look in the Word together. This is how I would do it. And the Word tells us, it says that, for the Word of God is alive and it's active. You won't know that unless you get your face in that book. Sharper than a double-edged sword. That means it gets into the deep parts of that evil heart that we have, right? It penetrates even the divided soul and spirit. It gets into the parts where we're struggling, the joints and the marrow. I mean, the author of this book is, is getting graphic for a reason. He wants to know how deep the Word of God can get into who you are and change how you do things. The Word of God can up your agility quotient better than anything. It says it judges the thoughts because it can, because it's perfect. And the attitudes of the heart. Psalm 119, 105, many of you could probably quote this with me. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Simple phrase, but man, it's worth saying every day, isn't it? Second thing is the Holy Spirit. Where do we start? Start with the word of God. And of course, the Holy Spirit is part of that process because the Holy Spirit reveals truth. He communicates the mind and the purposes of God. I, I don't have a whole lot of time to get into the whole depths of who the Holy Spirit is, but you know what? Come, come back in a few weeks' time in, this, in, in a sermon series I'm going to do leading up to Easter. We're going to have a whole week talking about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit baptism and the importance of the power of God in your life. But the Holy Spirit reveals truth. It communicates the mind and the purposes of God. John 16, 13 and 15 says this, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify Me, Jesus Christ, because it is from Me that he will receive what, we, what he will make known to you. We must keep his word in our hearts and a steady communication with the Holy Spirit. And that is where we begin and that is where we must return daily. But keeping this in mind, there are three important points from this passage that I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't look at them for a few moments in James chapter 1, verse 5. We can't overlook them. And firstly is that we are encouraged, first of all, to ask for wisdom. I mean, the passage we always hear read in concert with this passage is Matthew 7, verse 7 to 8, right? It says, asking will be given you, seeking you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. If you ask, you'll receive. Anyone who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. What a great promise. But another passage that I would recommend that you read in tandem with that verse that, that passage is 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. It says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. 
that if we ask anything according to his will. You see, it's implicit in Matthew, but it's said out loud here. Ask anything according to his will. God is not a genie. He's not someone you come and rub the Bible and say, ooh, poof, here he is. All right, God, that guy's getting on my nerve. Make him kind of poof. Do, do whatever you got to do with him. We don't, the Bible's not a genie. God is not a genie. God is not someone you call on when you're only in trouble and stuff. God is someone. <laughs> Let me just double check my nose for a second. No, I'm joking. <laughs> God. God is not someone that you just, he's not going to judge you if you do, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But he's not someone that was meant to be like, you know, God, you know, back in the day when he wear a beeper, you know, if I call on God, his beeper will ring and he'll call me back. It doesn't work that way. This is why we need the Holy Spirit, because he even teaches us what to ask for. A lot of times before I, when I have a thing that I need God to give me some wisdom on and some, some instruction about, I'll, oft, I'll ask, often ask God and, and just prepare, try to prepare my heart to come before him to make sure I'm asking the right question. Philosophy is so powerful. The ability to ask the right question is so powerful. And, and I'm going to tell you, when I just spend time speaking to the Holy Spirit, you can bring my volume down quite a bit, actually. I just feel like I'm hearing myself very loud. When you speak to God and you talk to him and you speak and you just spend time in the presence of the Holy Spirit, there's so many times that the question that I had come with originally that maybe it all upset me has changed. And a lot of times it ends up looking right back at myself. A lot of times it points me in a different direction and he says, that's the way you see it, but let me take you down this path for a moment. And empathy a lot of times comes into my situation. Empathy is so powerful. Mercy, kindness, I mean, it's so powerful. We must also remember that when we ask for wisdom, we are asking the Father who gives generously. So let's go back to Matthew 7. A lot of times we, we like to read, you know, asking to be given, you seeking, you find. But when you get back to chapter 7 and pick it up at verse 9, it says this. It says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts of your chil- to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give, give, gifts, give good gifts? to those who ask him. Generosity is powerful. And he will provide the wisdom you need if you ask. But the part that sticks in my heart is that he will do this without finding fault. He'll do it without finding fault. Now, like I mentioned before, that I'll read multiple translations and it brought me to the King James Version when I... And I, I came across this phrase. <laughs> it says, without finding fault. The King James says, and upbraideth not. Anybody know what that means? The finding fault part's kind of a hint. 
but it's a little deeper in it. And whenever I see a, ma- a major difference in, in the translation of words, I always like to dig in a little bit. And you look in the Greek understanding of this word, it means he will not defame. He's not going to rail at you and pile on when you're in trouble and when you make mistakes. You know, he's not going to revile you. I had to find the, the Hebrew equivalent as well. Actually, the, the actual word is that, that's in Hebrew is only translated in one spot in, in all of the Hebrew uh, scriptures. In, I, I think it's Judges 5.18. I don't have it quoted here. But it caught my attention. I had to look up the Hebrew because the Hebrew is so emotional. I just wanted to see how it was translated and the equivalent translation to the word in the Hebrew. And it literally means to pull off or to expose. And you need to understand this morning that God is not here to embarrass you. And sometimes we come with God, and even in our own privacy, we feel embarrassed to come to God. God is, you can't embarrass God. He is not going to expose you. And, and, and I hate when we, when we talk about heaven as if, you know, everybody's going to take their turn standing in front of, and I, I, just, I don't know, when I was a kid, I had this eight mil projector, showing the whole world everything bad that I've ever done. And this is how God's going to hold me accountable. But God's not going to pull back your, your, your layers and expose you to the world. It is His holiness. It is standing in the presence of holiness that exposes our sin. When we get to heaven, it is not His plan to, to make us all line up and then have all of our sins exposed out in front of everybody. I, that drives me crazy. Yes, there's going to be judgment. Yes, he is the perfect judge. I get it all, but he is not a God who's embarrassed of you. He's not going to pull back your layers and expose you. That's not his plan. I'm not saying he couldn't, and sometimes it does happen, and it's usually for our good. But you need to understand... However you feel, and if you sit here today and you say, you came in here this morning and said, Jesus, I don't know what I'm doing. There is nothing that you can say to God that's going to make him embarrassed of you. There's nothing you can say to him that's going to make him love you any less. There's no amount of times that you can go to him and ask him for wisdom that's going to make him stop and say, nope, you reached your quota this week. Thank goodness for that. It's as though God is saying, come to me for wisdom. Regardless of how many times you have come in the past. Regardless of how sinful you think you are. Regardless of whether you have accepted my advice in the past. I don't care what situation you are in in life. Come, I won't expose you. I won't pull back your protective shield you've put up because your trust has been broken before. Just come. Just come. Proverbs 27, verse 11 says this. It gives us a different perspective. It says, Be wise, my son, and bring joy to my heart that I can answer anyone who treats me with contempt. This is a teacher speaking to the one he's teaching, right? And it, it's as though Solomon is saying to his student, Don't make me look bad. Don't embarrass me, boy. You ever feel that way before? 
Don't embarrass me. I'm the one who taught you. You reflect me. And we feel this. And I think, you know, sometimes we think that, yes, I'm going to tell you right now that if you're a believer in this place, then you may be the only version of Jesus anybody ever says. And yes, there's accountability to that. But you need to understand that even at your best, you're still a veiled version of him. And the best thing you can do is introduce them directly to the King of Kings yourself. Tell them they can come to the Word. Tell them they can get the Holy Spirit. Tell them that you can go to the King of Kings yourself. Enter His courts yourself. Speak to Him yourself. Feel His love yourself. Like avail yourself of His wisdom yourself. The worst thing you can do is make yourself a conduit between that person and God. That's not why He died. He died so that the whosoever will come. That means everyone can come. You don't need to go through the pastor. You don't need to go through any authority figure. You don't need to go through the board members. You don't need to go through the prayer prayer uh, group that comes up here. And I'm going to tell you, when people pray for you here, and we anoint you with oil, and we pray for the sick, and we do those things, I'm going to tell you as the pastor, I don't have the Midas touch. I don't have a direct line to God that you do not have. You have access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the wisdom that's there for you is there for you. You don't need to get it through me. You don't need to get it through anybody else. Although there's great benefit in the community. I don't want to get that wrong this morning. But we need to understand that you cannot embarrass God. As many times as you come, He will give you a listening ear because he loves you. He doesn't cast blame or rail on you for your failures. He just says, come, ask. He is a generous God who looks past our faults. And he will not expose or embarrass us. Psalm 103, verses 8 and 12 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. If you came here this morning... And with all sincerity, you're thinking, Pastor, Pastor, I honestly, I don't know what I'm doing. I need wisdom. I need God to up my agility quotient. Ask him. Say, Father, I need your wisdom. Don't wait for anything else. Just do it right now. Just begin to pray and say, God, I need your wisdom. I'm not leaving here without it. Be belligerent. Be be, be persistent in it. Say, God, I need your wisdom. I need this. I need your guidance. I need your direction. He may not make your problems disappear. In fact, there's a good possibility he won't, but I guarantee you he will help you find a path through it. He hears you. He is generous, and he is not out to embarrass you. Whether you have accepted him or not, you still benefit from his wisdom. The sun will rise on you tomorrow. The rain will still fall on the crops and we'll still eat. You'll continue to breathe as you sleep tonight and have a measure of strength in your body when you wake. And he will still hear you when you call. And his generosity is endless. And it is unhindered by our faults. 
you'll breathe not. <laughs> but maybe you are here and you have felt his wisdom and relied on it, but have never acknowledged who is wisdom himself. God will always hear your cry in times of trouble, but he longs for you to live in his wisdom every day. There's a great opportunity for you to come to him and say, Father, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, I thought I did. I've relied on my own IQ. I've relied on my own self-efficacy long enough. But today I acknowledge that you are the God of more than enough. Give me the spirit of wisdom. Amen. Father, I just pray those words over each and every one of our lives. Lord, I love that you give me gifts. You give me abilities. And I know it's my responsibility, oh God, to seek those out and to use them for the furtherance of your kingdom, Lord, and, and, and that they can benefit others, oh God. You give so generously, oh God. But Lord, I pray that I would never in my life feel so efficient in and of myself that I would lose sight of my absolute and utter dependence and need of you. Lord, we take pride in being able to do things ourselves, to get things done ourselves. But Lord Jesus, even when I do feel confident, I pray that I would always come to you Lord, let me see the things I don't see in this situation. Father, show me the blind spots that I can't see. Show me the pathway that you have through here, oh God. Even though I may be in a good time and maybe everything's going well, I still, Lord Jesus, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil, God. Show me a pathway through, oh God, so that I do not fall into the things that I do not see. So even when it's good, Lord, help me to come to you and say, God, I need your wisdom every day, despite my situation. But remind me, oh God, that when I've messed up again, and I mess up again, I mess up again, remind me, oh God, that I can still come. That I can still come you're not going to embarrass me. You're not embarrassed by me. But you can show me a way. And I can find my confidence in Lord, even though maybe I don't feel like I know what I'm doing, I know that you do. So Father, we thank you for that today. We thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, everybody say it. Let's just take some time. This song my wife has chosen here is such a poignant song for this moment. And um, if you want to spend time around the altar, these altars are always going to be open, but <laughs> I'd love for you just to take some self-reflective time and say, God, you know, have I really been going to you with everything? Have I been putting my whole life in your hands? Have I been seeking wisdom from you as often as I should? And just, you know, just make it a reflective time for yourself. Like I said, these altars are open if you want to come spend time with Jesus, if you just want to get your own space to do that. But just, just take some time and ask God just to speak to us. Lord, Holy Spirit, I ask in the name of Jesus that you will flood this place 
with the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Lord, we as a church don't want to take one step without you. Not one step. Not one step, Lord Jesus. So, Father, we pray that you would pour out your wisdom. Thank you, Lord, that you give it generously and without finding fault in the name of Jesus. Let's just worship God. Thank you.